Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. How about this for a prediction? Baylor wins on Saturday, and then Kansas never loses again. I think this game will be decided in the 60s. I'll take Kansas like 67, 65, or something like that. I think it'll be somewhere along those lines. BYU is going to win the game. I will take Gonzaga. User. Here, yeah, I think SDSU is go. I think they're going to lose one before they get to Selection Sunday. Here's your one seats on Selection Sunday. One loss, Gonzaga. Zero loss, San Diego State. Okay, Come okay, on. okay. So should, 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 well, should, well, well, should, well, should, well, listen, I don't think Gonzaga's losing again, and I don't think San Diego State's losing at all. I think San Diego State will lose, and... I'm going to take Maryland plus the point. Wrong, 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 wrong. Just give me Maryland. Straight up. Wrong, 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 wrong. I'm also a big believer in premarital sex. It's Gary Farish. It's Sunday, February 23rd, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norland is here with me, and I, I never said I was great at predicting things. I just said I could talk for an hour about whatever, nonstop, no problem. What's up with you, dead leg? <laughs> oh, you know, when you're sitting inside on a Sunday watching games, doing HQ, the mind begins to wander and uh, so there we go i'm doing all right dead limb duo back at it buddy how you doing on this sunday night i'm great um let me tell you something i learned a long time ago before i became a radio podcast and television star and that's that um you don't have to be right you just have to sound right at the time (laughs) then whatever happens happens at the time happens At the time being the key part of that phrase right there. Just poking a little bit of fun because I know you can take it. And, uh, yeah, that was just after – see, after the San Diego State loss, and as I'm flying back across the country after Kansas-Baylor, which, of course, we're going to get to in a second here. but And, I, and I, the stream isn't loading, but I'm thinking GP was so in on his Aztecs. And then I just thought, you know what? Yeah, he also he had uh, Gonzaga winning for sure. Uh, he had Kansas losing, and so then I began to think about that, and uh, so there we go. I'm not, by the way, listen, I enjoy doing that, and I hope the listeners like it as well, uh, but I can't keep doing this myself. Like, it's an hour and a half, like, building something like that. I had the time, figured I might as well do it, and uh, yes, it's since, uh, since you mentioned it, by the way, coming off the weekend, I did happen to go... Four and one. Uh, GP went two and three with our final four and one. Um, but uh, but there we go. Biggest game of the weekend, obviously. Baylor and Kansas giving us a great one, and KU winding up uh, winding up with a win and now number one overall seed. 
it was a rough week for all of the things that I love, like my Aztecs and my Zags mm. and my Scott Drew. <laughs> like not, very few things went right for me this weekend. In fact, um, I, I was sitting here last night. Wally Zerbiak was in studio. Uh, CBS Sports Network, and he and I have been going back and forth about San Diego State all season. He's been consistent. They're going to lose, and probably twice before Selection Sunday, and the whole time, I've been saying they're not going to lose, and then my most recent adjustment or addition to they're not going to lose was, according to Ken Palm, now they're not supposed to lose, so uh, uh, they're not even supposed to lose anymore, and so uh, of course, last night, when they lose, I, like who lost first? San Diego State did. They did, yeah. So then he was calling me Ken Palm Nerd. He tweeted me, I mean, texted me, hey, hey, Ken Palm Nerd, how your Aztecs doing? And I was, and I was like, I still got my Zags. Don't, don't get too confident. I still got armies in the Ukraine. Yeah, so you thought. Because he was, he was also like uh, that Gonzaga is going to lose before Selection Sunday. And so, of course, then Gonzaga lose. I can't even sit here and enjoy the – the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight without a, a text barrage from Wally Zerbiak calling me a numbers nerd. <laughs> Nonstop. So it was a uh, it was a, a rough weekend for all of my favorite things: my Aztecs, my Zags, and my Scott Drews, and just a wild weekend in college basketball um, in general. As noted, San Diego State had its 26 game winning streak snapped by UNLV. Gonzaga had its 19 game winning streak snapped by BYU. And uh, we're going to get to both of those things, I promise. But I, I, I do want to start with what happened inside Terry Teagle Arena down in uh, Waco, Texas, because it was, as Norlander said, the biggest game of the weekend, perhaps the biggest game of the season. Chip was there. Joanna was there. Mm -hmm. Deadleg was there. And they were all treated to a tremendous college basketball game that wasn't decided until the last shot missed, until the last buzzer sounded. Final score, Kansas 64, Baylor 61. Norlander didn't have it exactly right, but he's pretty close. He's pretty close. So the Bears' 23-game winning streak is no more. Jayhawks' winning streak is up to 12 games. These teams are now number one and number two in the updated top 25-1. and one. They're both 13-1 in the Big 12 with four regular season games remaining. Norlander, you are inside the building, mm. the arena that the legend TT built. Did Kansas Baylor in person live up to the hype? And did you just watch in person the nation's best two teams play each other? I got to think so, GP. Uh, it did live up to the hype. Got some, got a number of shots up inside Terry Teagle Arena on Lace Darius Dunn Court there on Friday uh, ahead of time after uh, after our podcast. In fact, um, that was one of the more surreal spots I've ever recorded a podcast. By the way, I was in this tiny, tiny, tiny coach's locker room. Um, Really good game, amazing environment, hottest ticket. Uh, you know, you had people that have been there forever saying this is the hottest ticket in the history of the building, um, which is to be expected when, you know, Baylor's riding its longest win streak in school history, and there had never been a Big 12 team that had won 23 straight games. So that was uh, terrific. Uh, I want to give a shout to Sam Taylor nice and early. I actually had someone come over and ask me to sign a pair of shoes. Devoted <laughs> podcast listener found me and his green pair of, I guess, Nikes. I don't know. I, they're worthless now, but Sam, you are a, a devoted podcast listener. He was actually the man in the photo you retweeted. He had the Terry Teagle sign, okay. and then um, uh, the woman with him, uh, the student, had the I heart Al Ali Farouk Manesh sign. So that is who that was, and um, there there is photo evidence of it, so that, that will be part of the uh, no context Twitter tease when this thing posts. But uh, as for the game, wonderful game. Kansas getting out early was huge. See, Baylor had almost... I'd, did all those stats and facts on the Friday podcast, but I thought Kansas getting ahead 
was significant. Obviously, Yudoka Azubuki, he was the subject of my column on Saturday night. He had the best game of his career and picked a hell of a time to do so. And between him and Devon Dotson, um, you really saw why Kansas is in the pole position now, not just for the number one overall seed, and it did leap over Baylor and that obviously leapt over all the other teams in GP's top 25 and one as a function of the other teams losing. And we can get to more of that just... Uh, it was it was a, a a weekend with some interesting results, but I don't know how much the teams at the top are really hurt overall. But uh, I walked away impressed with Kansas, and all still the same impressed with Baylor because it had Macy Oteague on the floor, Parish, but he wasn't at like full strength. Like he practiced on Friday, but it wasn't like a real real practice, and he had not really uh, been able to to run um, to his full extent and really get going in in well over a week. So he still needs another three or four days to get back into full shape. And I thought Baylor's defense did well for itself. They almost poked through the back door. I mean, it was like Kansas is going to win, Kansas is going to win, and all of a sudden, bad turnover, hit a three, this, that, and the other, and then KU ops not to foul on the final play. Jared Butler's three does not go in. We avoid overtime. KU gets the win, and now it's uh, number. It's going to be number one in the polls on Monday. It's number one in the predictive metrics, number one top 25 and one for GP, number one in the net, and your Jayhawks, I think, are clearly and fairly considered the front runner to win the 2020 national title. Like you said, Yudoka has a bookie monster game. He was 11 of 13 from the field, 23 points, 19 rebounds. And one of the notes you made in your column is that he he's dropped 20 pounds since last season, really changed his body. He's got the best body he's ever had. And it, you can tell just watching him play. He's guarding space a little bit. He's catching lobs. He's been a dominant player for a while. He was a dominant player last season. I think sometimes people um, either forget or don't realize Kansas was actually undefeated with him in the lineup last season. You know, what people remember is, you know, ah, Kansas had its string of Big 12 regular season titles snapped. Yeah, well, they, they lost. Dietrich Lawson was their best player. Doak, and you made this point as well, might be Kansas's most important player and could arguably be the most important player to any team in America. Now, I think Dayton would maybe argue, no, Obi Toppin, or Michigan State would maybe argue Cassius Winston. But either way, he's on the list. And last season when he played, uh, they were undefeated. They never lost. And then they lost him, and they were a different team. Still good, but maybe not great. And then, of course, they lost LeGerald Vick early in February, and then they just became the type of team that could lose in the second round of the NCAA tournament, but um, they get a, a, a healthy, um, a different bodied as a this season. And he's been terrific. He was uh, at his, the best version of himself against Baylor, but he's been terrific much of this season. And I do feel, I don't know, uh, maybe we we've overlooked him and I include myself in this as a legitimate national player of the year candidate. Perhaps perhaps we didn't. Maybe now we're just thinking we did because he put up this monster performance on this big stage. But there's certainly a case that you can make he's the most important player to Kansas and, by extension, perhaps the most important player to any team in America and maybe the key to winning a national championship and perhaps – uh, the personal accolades should go hand in hand with that. Yeah, he did. Uh, he was one, on my preseason first team All American, and I think I might have been the only one who did that because I thought that he would become a lot 
of what he showed on Saturday, and that's just there is no player in college basketball doing what Doak does for Kansas anywhere else or anyone who can really truly match up against him because uh, his game has gotten so much better. He's a really good defender, has great awareness around the rim, and then, uh, as noted in some stories uh, by uh, your sworn mortal enemy, Jesse Newell, but also a good guy, <laughs> C.J. Moore, who could do a great job covering uh, Kansas. Uh, you know, Bill Self added some new wrinkles here into what uh, Yudoka Azubuki was doing in terms of playing, defending ball screens and, and really slipping off of them on the offensive end as well. And that led to, he had 11 of 13 for shooting and eight of those were dunks. I mean, he was just uh, an absolute monster there. And so a um, couple things that stood out to me after the game. Uh, one, I did ask Self on CBS Sports HQ if, if Doak and, and as he refers to him, Dot, Devon Dotson, are the best one-two combo he's ever had. And I didn't, I didn't, Ask that lightly or without reverence to some of the great players that have come through there. Um, but when you look at the fact that they are statistically like two of the seven or eight most important players in the sport right now, like the, the question deserves to be asked. And he said yes. He said we've had really good talents, but we have never really relied on two guys to say the way that we are now with how good they both are. And I think that uh, should not be um, – overlooked. The other thing was, and this was a wow to me, and I included it in the column as well, Bill Self said that this Baylor team is the best team in the Big 12 he's played since he got there, and I don't think that is lip service. It's incredible when you look at the teams that have come through the Big 12 in the past. The league's been the best league in America the past six seasons. The Big 10 has that this season, but the previous six was the Big 12, and I did think that Baylor, although it did not win, and it was a defensive struggle, I thought it showed itself pretty well. Like my, uh, What I thought of Baylor was not lessened at all by the loss, Probably would have been the same just about if it had been able to win. Now, if it had won, it would have been the first time the school's ever swept uh, Kansas in the same season. But those were a couple things that stood out to me, specifically with Self uh, and what he said afterward. And what was a very fun game, um, physical, fairly called. I thought the officiating was, was very good there. And... You know, Baylor made the most of it and what it could and what was a, you know, a, a very raucous environment. And for an 11 a.m. local tip, you know, not a lot of food in the tummy. Obviously, you got one meal there. I thought uh, there was a little fatigue at the end on both sides, but not so much that it even marred the ending there. And I thought that was impressive. Um, I did notice that, too, in your HQ interview with Bill. Two, two things. Um, first, on, on uh, Azabuki and Dodson being maybe the best, you know, um, you know, guard big right. combo that he's had. I actually think it is, and and he the the um, the fact that he he sort of conceded the point uh, I, I thought was interesting. Uh, uh, Dokin dot sort of sounds like Dippin dot, so that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> and it just makes you when you start talking about great guard forward or great guard front court combinations. Just I know most brothers go to school together. Like the Morris twins, right? Marcus and Marquise, they both go to Kansas together. Or you had the Housers at least initially at Marquette. It's just – I guess I'll – if I lived 100 years, I'll never understand why half-brothers Jalen Crutcher and Killian Tilly didn't go to the same school. Because they, they could be doing the same thing right now. It's wrong, yeah. I, I don't get it either. I hear what you're saying, yeah. So there's that. And then on Baylor – 2020 being one of the best teams that they've ever played, perhaps the best team they've ever played since he's been in the Big 12. I think the other teams he brought up was last season's Texas Tech mm -hmm. and 2004 Oklahoma State, which was an awesome team because yeah. they were old and big and strong. Um, I remember because 
in 2004, I was the Memphis beat writer at the Commercial Pill newspaper, and that's who Memphis had to play in the second round of the NCAA tournament. So I was I saw that team up close, and they just whipped them. I mean, just absolutely made them look like a high school team. It was Tony Allen, Grizz Legend, my homie, T.A., um, uh, um, Joey Gra- the Graham brothers. Love, yeah, love Joey Graham. Uh, John Lucas, uh, Ivan McFarlane. Like, that team was awesome. And the idea that Bill would put this Baylor team in that class, and I'm with you, I don't think it's lip service. I think he he knows what he's up against. And I thought all of Bill's postgame stuff was interesting. He said, listen, we, we won the game here. Like, we beat them. Awesome. But we didn't control this game nearly as well as they con- they controlled us when we were played it inside Allen Fieldhouse. Like, they, they beat us there better than we beat them here. He's real complimentary of this Baylor team, and I think it's because he knows that um, he might have the best team in the country. But he knows if he does, that might be the second best team in the country, and it could be vice versa. I, yeah, they are really right there. And I'll note, um, fan base showed well. Uh, they, it's weird, they did... They didn't get the full game day experience because game day was bumped up right against the start of the game. But uh, they were they were revved and going, man. I just uh, a big time game inside of a smaller like it's ten and change that place holds, uh, Terry Teagle Arena. Um, but it was it was really really good. Like a great it great on TV. It, it looked great on TV. All the better than yeah. No, it was fantastic. And I had a number of people just come up and say yeah, it's just it's never like this, and it's never been as good as it is right here. Scott Drew, I did sit down with him the day before uh, and prep for the game, but. Uh, just you know, kind of other stuff. Do a do a story, I assume, on him uh, once we get to March and Baylor's uh, seated well. And he uh, credited Scott and just he was loose, thrilled. You know, you get an opportunity like this, and if you opt to kind of just you know grip a little bit, focus in. I totally get it. Uh, but that was that was not him. That was not the program. They just you know game day was obviously in town as well, and they just they fully embraced the opportunity. And I think that was great. I don't think it cost them the game. You don't know the next time you're ever going to be in a situation like this if you're the Baylor men's basketball program. If you're the women, sure, Kim Mulkey's the fastest of 600 wins ever uh, in, in Division One basketball, period. And so uh, there's a certain standard there that they're meeting on an almost every year basis. Baylor has been good. It was ranked number one just a few years ago. It's made a couple of elite eights. But you don't know the next time that you will be number one and hosting another top five team. So uh, credit to the school, the Coaching staff, athletic director, all of them for really stepping up and uh, providing a heck of a heck of a game. I did want to ask you this, Parish. So, like, for me, like, wake up, you're there, you're right. Like, it was it was good. But um, what did you like it in the moment? Because we talked on the Friday pod. Oh, it's great. You got Gonzaga, BYU, end of the day. You got Kansas, Baylor, start of the day. We almost never get this kind of thing within the rhythm of Saturday. Like, did you, did you like what college basketball provided to a national audience to get the rare? must-see top-five matchup that early, or do you think it would have been better served if it was uh, mid to late afternoon or early evening? The only reason why I ask you this is when I saw Bill Self get to shoot around on Friday, he was excited and knew it was good for college hoops, but he's like, but if it was just later on, you know, it might be even better. You know, if you put it in the evening, the reason they couldn't do that was the women had a game later in the day and they couldn't move it. But I just wondered from from the couch how it all played out to you and uh, as you took the day in. Well, if I'm being honest, I was on CBS Sports HQ for like five hours straight. <laughs> like I, 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 I really just sat and stared into a camera for five hours. <laughs> um, but no, undeniably, it would have been a bigger deal if it were in prime time or maybe not even prime time. Like if it just started at, you know, six Eastern, mm. five Eastern 
like you know, just later in the day, I think it would have been there would have been more of a buildup. You know, people sort of live in the moment. Like you and I, we we it's our job. Yeah. Like we live this stuff every minute of every day. Most people, you know, you 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 don't you don't look at it, if you're not a Baylor fan or a Kansas fan or a hardcore college basketball fan, you're, you're not sitting around on Thursday going, "Ooh, I can't wait for Saturday because it's number one against number three. Like you might not even know that that's happening. Um, in 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 the sport of college basketball, and so if that game would have been, let's just say, tipping off at six Eastern, people would have been watching other games all day long, and they would have been constantly hearing about this game. It's number one against number three. It's a you know twenty three game winning streak against uh you know the Kansas Jayhawks, and it would have been the build up on mm-hmm. the day of would have made it feel like a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I think that that's true, but. You know, you know, it is what it is. You know, when they schedule that game at 11 a.m. Central Time, there's no reason to think it's going to be number one against number three, and number one is Baylor on a yeah. was it, a 23 game winning streak. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, yeah. So it, it is what it is. But I do think I like I personally enjoy it because it's like okay, wake up, top 25 and one's filed. We got big time basketball yeah. game starting at 11. Let's go. But do I think we could have brought in more casual fans if the game were later in the day? Of course. Yeah, I, yeah, I hear you. I loved it being that early. Um, and it's also a great thing, as you know, like when you get a, an early game and then uh, just in terms of writing when you got to write off of it, um, you get that done. Now I happen to just I, – I flew back uh, late Saturday night to get back home, you know, get a night in, in your own bed, you're going to do that. How do you but, fly from Waco back to NYC? I, so that what we did was um, – we drove so you can do it a number of ways but i wanted to direct so we drove i flew into dallas and then liz edwards who's uh hq producer who was there with me uh, and did a wonderful job uh the entire she's weekend great. she's great by the way she's, she's legitimately great legitimately great and what i love about her let me tell you what i love about liz real quick she doesn't really know these college basketball coaches like so she's not starstruck or intimidated she's like she'll see mike shesky and she'll be like is that is that mike and uh, you go, yeah. She goes, Coach K, right? And you're like, yeah, Coach K. She's like, all right, I'm going to go work on this. Like she's really a great – like her job is to get things done, and she has no uh, hurdles right. between her and whatever she's trying to get done. And then she's just like – she's on time. She's yep. um, she's good. She's just great. And what I love – because like we were at CBS uh, – no, what was it? Yeah, CBS Sports Classic, and we were supposed to be getting the Kansas people. Uh, the Kansas people. We were supposed to get in Bill Self. And she had got over there earlier than I because I had to go do something else first. She's like, I'm going to get over there, set up, and figure out what we're going to do and where we're going to do it. By the time I got over there, she just she's already like, okay, so I talked to – do you know Curtis? I'm like, Curtis Townsend? <laughs> she's like, yeah, I talked to Curtis. So I, they're like, what are you doing talking to Curtis? But like, she saw somebody wearing a Kansas shirt, so that's the person she was going to talk to. She's terrific. Continue. She is great, and she was, uh, she was the one that uh... – Took the range, uh, rent the car. So flew into Dallas, and that's about an hour, 45 to two hours, depending on uh, your time of day. Drove down to Waco and uh, ate at Magnolia Table. Shouts to Chip and Joanna. They legitimately great spot there. Amazing breakfast, and it was uh, just outstanding. The biscuits, shouts to the people there. That was awesome. And actually, that was like... Liz had her family members like uh, wanting photos and sending texts because it was like a whole a whole big deal and um, so that was a good time. So then yeah, we drove back uh, drove back to D- Dallas after on uh, on Saturday afternoon. Then I got the direct from LaGuardia uh, or to LaGuardia, and we don't need to make it a whole thing on the podcast because I texted to you in the group chat. But uh, uh, the 
the ride service situation at LaGuardia is an abomination, and I don't understand how it's even legal. Parrish knows this because he's going to live it again on Monday night when he lands at LGA. You are walking a half mile to a full mile, dodging traffic, going through parking garages, going up garages, trying to guess which car it's going to be. It's New York, so it's not a typical Lyft or Uber situation. All of them are black. You don't know which one's yours. you got to read the license plate, and it's the same different combination of 16 different digits or letters there. It's just absurd. And when you land and it's late and you just want to get home, and they're like, you need to go downstairs, then walk outside, then go over the crosswalk, then walk over to that parking garage, then go up the garage, then walk out to the other side. It's It can't be like, that's the only airport where this is the case. So I had to, I just, I had to get it off my chest. Eventually yeah. I did get home. I, I've been living that every Monday for years. Now the CBS, CBS sports network, they have a car service for us. Um, it's blue line. So blue line car service, they, they'll come pick us up. And that, that's the way it's been for years. But you know, sometimes my flight's delayed, my flight's late. Sometimes I get to the airport and I want to sit down and work at the airport. Cause I'll just go into, I'll land and go to the Delta sky club. And like I'll just work there before I go into Manhattan and, and get to my hotel. So I decided this season, like, listen, I appreciate you guys getting a car for me, but it probably costs three hundred dollars, and I can get an Uber for sixty. And I, I also would rather have the freedom of getting a car whenever I want it, as opposed to a car's waiting on me. Because sometimes I land and I don't want to leave the airport immediately. I want to land and, and work. And so I, I, this season, I said, listen, just forget the car service, and I'll uh, I'll Uber from the airport to um, to my hotel. It's not a big deal. Like, who who do I think I am? And so they're like, cool. And 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 so now I have to do what you do every Monday, and you just like it's. Like, do, do you go to the same place I go, which is like it's covered yeah. in like a it's like a, a tent almost. Yes. Yeah. And it's like M1, M2, M3, yes. one, M2, M3. Listen, we're going super niche, but I know there are people listening to this podcast that have had to do this. LaGuardia is brutal. It's going to be under construction for the next 4,000 years. And if you can avoid if you can avoid the Lyft Uber situation coming coming out when you get off the plane, by all means, do it, man. It, I just I could not believe it. It's like, you know, it's a long flight. You get off, and San Diego State's no longer undefeated. Gonzaga just lost to BYU. You're trying to watch the Tyson Fury fight on a stream that won't work on your damn phone, and then the lift won't even. It's just, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole scene. That's all. It, it, like, and one of the reasons I was at least um, interested in maybe scrapping car service and just going to Uber is because even the car service stuff, it got so wild where they had to be. There was a time last season where LaGuardia was under so much construction where, you know, black cars went, you know, car yeah, services went, right. not Uber or Lyft, but like actual car services, that you had to take a bus. bus. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to land and then take a bus to another spot, and then you just stand there and wait for your car. So that was like a weird, like just a nightmare. And then it would get so complicated that my my driver would call me sometimes, and he'd be like, Mr. Parrish, um, um, okay, I need you to go back upstairs to ticketing. That level. I'm like, but I'm downstairs at baggage claim. I know, but I can't get down there. So now, and I was like, you know what? It's too much. I'm just going to do the Uber thing. And now the Uber thing is I'm standing in a tent at 930 at night and it's raining and it's cold. And I'm trying to text somebody and tell them I'm at N1. Hey, I'm at N1 in a stupid toboggan. Look for the dead arm. Look, I'm the man with the dead arm. Come find hey, me. I, 
I'm the guy in the toboggan that everybody makes fun of on Twitter with two double tennis elbow. I'll just be standing here. The old things and the old things ridiculous. Uh, it is, but anyway, uh, so getting to Waco, you can fly into Waco, but I didn't do that. But uh, Waco's an interesting little town there. And um, my thanks again to David K, the sports information director at Baylor. He was terrific. As was Chris Tyson, as always with Kansas. And uh, we got a, we got a if good I, game. If I'm gonna shout out Liz. Shout out both of those guys. Like there are, um, we deal with SIDs all the time, and not all of them are as helpful as we'd like them to be. And Chris and David are two of the very best. They are always as helpful as they could possibly be. And I, I, I hope that they, uh, that, that, that the people who deal with them on a daily basis appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, no doubt about e- it. Even, even Jesse Newell. <laughs> okay, there we go. I did, I did say hello. I, so I said hello, and we will move on here, okay? Thanks for those who indulge us in our, in our little uh, dig- digressions and tangents. I saw Jesse uh, in the workroom, obviously, at the game and all that stuff. And um, so when he, when he sits down, he's got, a, he's got a, a picture of your face on his laptop. No, he doesn't. <laughs> um, no, but I did say you and I should take a photo right now, like and just look as chummy as possible and publicly tweeted at Parrish on Twitter. And uh, he got a chuckle out of that. He knows he knows you know what you're doing, and he knows that, that it goes both ways. But uh, just when it comes to ranking teams, there's philosophical differences. And, um, right. But, no, yeah. like I, I would have laughed at that. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I know. People, I, know. People are, I get some stuff on Twitter after the past week. They're like, oh, you must say I don't hate Jesse Newell. Like, what the, why would I hate Jesse Newell? You know what? I, I hate um, when my hotel room's really far from the elevator. That's the thing <laughs> that I hate. <laughs> like, like, I know Jesse's very good at his job and like a smart guy. Like, he's not dumb. There are AP voters who are dumb. He he's not one of them. Right. Uh, I just philosophically totally disagree with his approach of mostly disregarding the results of games and focusing more on predictive metrics. I just think that that's not the right way to do it. But like, I don't think he's doing it because he's dumb. He's doing it because he that's the way he wants to do it. And so we just get into we just get into these. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, we butt heads a little bit about ranking teams, but uh, I, I'm, I'm sure he's a, a good guy and a smart guy, and I respect his work, and I would have laughed at the picture if you tweeted it. Uh, we almost did. And then things got uh, – actually, things got going in a hurry. Like the game was like – it was like next thing you knew, it was like, oh, yeah, this thing's going to tip in like 10 minutes here. So, um, all right. So Kansas wins, Baylor loses. Uh, we had some other obviously highly ranked teams, as, as you listeners know, go down. Um, shall we get to that next, GP? Yeah, so Kansas, like I mentioned, is now number one in my top 25 and one. And, but that's not just because Kansas won. People have asked me, if Baylor would have won, would you have jumped Baylor over Gonzaga even if Gonzaga won? And if Kansas would have won like it did, would you have jumped Kansas over Gonzaga? And the answer is no. If Gonzaga would have won at BYU, Gonzaga would have remained number one in the top 25 and one regardless of what happened inside Terry Teagle Arena. But Gonzaga lost at BYU, and we're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. 
Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Kansas is now number one in my top 25 and one. And like I said, it's not simply because the Jayhawks won at Baylor. It's also because Gonzaga lost at BYU inside the Brandon Davies Center. Shouts to premarital sex. Final score, BYU 91, Gonzaga 78. So the Zags 19-game winning streak is no more. Norlander, is this a reason to be concerned about Gonzaga, or is it just a road loss to a really good team? No big deal. I, I lean the latter. Now, I did not – I. I did not see the game. I was incapable of actually watching the game uh, on the tail end of my flight there, so I don't have a frame of reference on how good Gonzaga did or did not look. I was following along with the commentary uh, on Twitter as the game was winding down. I guess Zags kind of got close, and then BYU pulled away. Uh, I did expect the outcome. I didn't think it would, the margin would be uh, to that level. Credit to BYU, as I said on the Friday podcast. This win means BYU is is a lock, and um, BYU's got a shot here. If it can do some damage again, if it could meet Gonzaga again in the WCC tournament, like if BYU doesn't lose again, uh, four seed is actually on the table there. We'll see where they wind up going. For Gonzaga, here's my thing with Zags. So they had won uh, four. 40 straight against WCC competition, and that's just a ridiculous streak. I, I don't care what league you play in, and there, it is a multi-bid league just about every season. Gonzaga having that streak snapped, they were they were due for an L, and they got it there. But, uh, you know, props to Mark Few and that team for being able to do that, particularly in a season where I mentioned this back in December after I caught the Zags win at Arizona. You know, Mark Few really didn't think that this team was going to be anything near the quality of a 1, 2, 3, or 4 seed, and he has said that publicly multiple times. This group has surprised him more than any other when you look at how much talent the Zags lost last season and you look at some of those really good Gonzaga teams in recent seasons, he just thought it would take him a while to get somewhere. NCAA tournament quality, sure, but high level, he had some skepticism. And you see what they've done now. He would have taken two losses on February 23rd every single time. Credit to BYU, though, for holding court on its home court there, getting it done inside Brandon Davies Arena. That was a fantastic win. The premarital sex. There you go. A great, great win. And um, BYU is going to be, to me, if it keeps winning, and I mentioned something about Creighton on Twitter earlier on Sunday, uh, because BYU beat Gonzaga the way it did, and because Creighton seems like the second best team in the in the country to Kansas at this point, is just destroying everyone. These are no longer like sleeper teams. They are so good and winning in such prominent ways and developing, if not elongated win streaks, just you know, eight out of nine, eleven out of fourteen. You get what I'm saying there. Um, they've those are two of the teams of the weekend that got good wins. Uh, the Jays and the Cougs specifically that I thought did wonders for themselves and just their overall profile and relevance within the sport. So, Yoli Childs was awesome. 12 of 19 from the field, 28 points, 10 rebounds. And now, as I pointed out on a previous podcast, like BYU's record is misleading because he wasn't there for a lot of their losses. They're now 15 and 2 with him in the lineup. I mean, they're like they're they're one of the probably 10 best teams in the country when he's in the lineup. And they looked that way on Saturday night. They were 11 of 27 from three-point range. And they're now shooting 41.9% from three. 
which leads the nation. They're number four in offensive efficiency. They've now got an eight-game winning streak. And I did find the twin to the Maryland fan base this past week, and it's the BYU fan base. What? Okay, so we joke about Maryland fans because most fans, Kentucky fans, um, who is it right now? Who's arguing with me right now? Iowa fans. Iowa fans, they always think their team's better than you think their team is. You say, you know what? I think this team is good, but I don't know if it's a top 10 team. They're like, oh, we're a top five team. Like fan bases are always arguing with it. They always think you're sliding their team, except for Maryland fans. They always think you're overvaluing their team. You're like, I think Maryland's a legit, legit cha- championship contender. No way. You know, a- Anthony Cowan's not going to lead us to a chip. They always just think less of their team. BYU fans, same way. I go on radio in Salt Lake City on Friday because there's an afternoon drive show and, you know, the time difference. And they're like, hey, can we – every time they've ever asked, it's like, can we get you at, you know, uh, 6 o'clock Central? And I'm like, that's actually perfect because it's 6 o'clock Central. I get off radio at 5.56. I got nothing else to do on my drive home. So, like, I'll just talk to you on my drive home. Happy to do it. And so that's what ends up happening. I, I end my show, and then I, uh, I get in my car, and it's Salt Lake City calls, and they want to talk to me about the big game, Gonzaga and BYU. And the host asked me at some point, like, how good do you think BYU is? You know, just a sort of a normal question that you would ask somebody like me. And I said, listen, you know, I, I know that they were unranked most of the season, and they're only in the 20s right now, but they've got really strong computer numbers. And with Yoli Childs in the lineup, they're 14-2. and two. They're the best three-point shooting team in America. So when you got a player like him and you really shoot it from the perimeter, like that's a pretty good combination. And I really do think that when you're talking about, you know, final four dark horses, I don't see why BYU wouldn't be on that list. And so we, you know, then we talk about some other stuff and uh, they thank me for being there and I thank them for having me. And, you know, I hang up the phone and I just start driving and I don't pick up my phone on the rest of the drive home because that would be dangerous. You don't want to look at Twitter while you're driving. And so then I get home and my mentions are going crazy. And I'm like, oh, no, what did I do this time? And it's BYU fans calling me crazy <laughs> because I said that BYU was a dark horse Final Four team. They were like, oh, there's no way we're going to the Final Four. Oh, I'm sure we'll lose in the first round. And, and I was like, man, they hate the, – they don't believe in their team as much as I believe in their team. And so I tweeted Saturday night after the one – I because retwe- uh, if you – like you can go back and find the tweet – Somebody connected to the radio station tweeted, Gary Parrish says BYU is a Final Four dark horse, you know, and then all these, and then the rest of it, it's not like Utah fans crapping on it. It's like actual <laughs> BYU fans saying, ah, there's, ah, we're going to lose in the first round. Ah, there's no way we get, and uh, I just don't know why they don't, like, there's, if you're looking for possible Final Four teams, mm. now I don't know if you realize this, but we got to put, you know, only four teams can get there. But if you're looking for, teams a little bit off the radar that could maybe get there BYU like checks every box they're great when they've got their best lineup available to them computer numbers are strong they really really shoot it what's the problem and I I think after I so even though it broke my heart to watch my Zags lose because it put you in a position to make the intro to this podcast I was kind of like glad to see BYU win so that maybe BYU fans would believe that their team is just as good as I tried to tell them like 24 hours earlier
Cougs fans, you got to come around. I know it's not all of you, but if there's a if there's a certain vocal faction, uh, that is interesting. In terms of where they sit right now, just uh, for reference for listeners that might not know, uh, on Monday morning, as of Sunday night, um, here's 11 through 20 at Ken Palm. 11, Michigan, then Ohio State, which got a win over Maryland. We can touch on that briefly in a minute. If you want, uh, Creighton, Texas Tech, Arizona could not get the job done this weekend, by the way, that was where uh, GP had it right and I had it wrong. Credit to the Ducks and shouts to Peyton Pritchard building again a first-team All-America case, getting that OT win uh, in Tucson. And then after Arizona at 15, you got BYU at 16, Houston at 17, Nova 18, The Hall, Seton Hall 19, and then Penn State, uh, which took an L uh, against Indiana it's second straight loss on Sunday. They're they're twentieth overall. So no, BYU definitely has the goods to get there. Almost feels like they might be creeping up already on trendy elite eight pick. We'll see where they are once we get to the bracket. But they are um, they are settling in nicely for a really good seed. And this is just a reminder. While there are obviously exceptions to the rules, BYU has been was under the radar as a top 25 level kind of Ken Palm team. That was about a month ago and it's still been there and hasn't lost since. But, um, but the predictive metrics were saying like, no, this is one of the best teams and, and the Ken Palm ranking was way ahead of the net and the AP poll and all that stuff. And lo and behold, what do we have here? We've got a 23 and seven team with a 12 and three record in the WCC, the best three point shooting team in America. And now it's seed is starting to reflect that in the bracket, pro- in the bracket projections you're seeing across the internet. It's so funny. As we're talking about this, I get a tweet. Because earlier tonight, Rob Doster, our buddy from NBC Sports, uh, tweeted his AP ballot for tomorrow. And he's got Maryland still very high. And somebody tweeted back at him like, hey, Maryland, you know they lost, right? And the point he made was like they lost uh, you know, they lost a game they, they were supposed to lose. They were at Ohio State on Sunday. And then I tweeted at him, and I wish I wouldn't have because I got – I got plenty of things to do tonight yeah, well, besides <laughs> it create more fights on social media. That's right. But like I was like the 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 people who think you have to significantly punish somebody for losing even when they lose a game they were supposed to lose like are the most confusing to me. It's just illogical um in every way. Because Maryland was a 3-point underdog at Ohio State on Sunday. And so, so they lost the game, and I, I can understand if you're a Maryland fan why you'd be disappointed, but like it was a game you were supposed to lose on paper. So I will drop Maryland some in the top 25-1, and one, and some of it's because of Creighton. Mm-hmm. Like they, they went out and added a ninth quadrant one victory. Fourth most in the country, by the way. Yeah, I mean, they're rolling. Like It's funny, you bring up Creighton. I, before you and I started this um, podcast, I was working on the lead to the top 25-1 and one for Monday morning. It is on Creighton and about how... Five weeks ago, they were not ranked at all. But if AP voters do their job right on Monday morning, they'll be in the top ten because their res- their body be. of work yeah. is their body of work is great. So I, I tweeted that at Rob earlier, and like as we're as <laughs> so we just got to talking about BYU fans, Maryland fans, and as you were talking, there's a tweet from a guy named Steve, and he says because uh, he was responding to my tweet to Rob that said, I don't understand why people think if you lose, you must be punished significantly. Like the context of the loss matters. And Steve tweeted, move to Maryland, 
they're ready to fire Turgeon right now again. It's crazy. Maryland's got such a strong five-loss resume at Penn State, at Seton Hall, at Iowa, at Wisconsin, which, by the way, got another win. Rutgers cannot win away from Quincy Doobie uh, p- uh, Pavilion. It's just unbelievable. So Wisconsin gets a four-straight win. It's That loss for Maryland gets even better. And then, yes, they were expected to lose against Ohio State. They did lose. Jalen Smith had his first bad game in like six weeks, which he's totally allowed to have. Credit to Holtman. They got a win. Kyle Young even left. He had to be helped off the floor uh, with that lower leg injury. So, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's absurd. And I will be, uh, I mean, Lord help Maryland fans if they lose at Minnesota Wednesday. I will be on hand for the home game Saturday against Michigan State um, where, uh, you know, they'll have a chance to uh, to put a, uh, you know, a hammer strength hold on on the Big Ten standings. But that's uh, <laughs> that's just too funny, the timing of all that. It's it's an expected loss. And I know there's some frustration over, like, the cow and technical. I get all that. But Ohio State was the better game, and it deserved to win that game on Sunday. Um, by the way, uh, Maryland is projected to lose at Minnesota on Wednesday, 66-65. So, like, listen, I know you want to win every game. And you don't think you should lose to a quote unranked team, but like there's plenty of data available that says suggest that playing at a place like Minnesota or a place like Ohio State is a very difficult thing to do. Similarly, and I don't mean to get too far off track here, but like people are killing Butler right now, and I can understand on some level because Butler hasn't been good. Um, it's been wobbly. Late. Yeah, no, it's been wobbly, man. Butler is one team that's going to make the tournament easily. It's been going the wrong direction after a really nice start. But this week. So this is a bad – everybody looks at it and they're like, oh, they lost two games. They went 0-2 this week. They played at Seton Hall and at Creighton. What are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to not lose by 22, and really it was like a 35-point loss if you're Butler. That's not too much to I ask. I got it. I got it. Like, uh, But, like, that's an 0-2 week. That's a scheduled 0-2 week. I know. I know. But they're slipping, man. I I, no, I, I like, hear you. Oh, like, listen. It, 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 nobody looks at this crap more than I, I do. I know. And then Baldwin <laughs> went out in the game. It didn't help. Yeah, I know. It was, it yeah. was yeah. Um, but back to Maryland real quick. Um, they've got now, what is it, five losses on the season? Yes. All five in the first quadrant. Yes. That's like Creighton. It has what, six losses are all in the first quadrant, right? Only six teams in the country. Yes. Only six teams in the country have zero losses outside of the first quadrant, and Maryland is one of them. So, so Maryland fans, stop trying to fire your coach. <laughs> he's, he's doing a good job. Maryland should still be in the top ten on Mondays in Monday's AP poll again if uh, if AP voters know what they're we're doing. Let's move on before we get to the biggest surprise of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me shout out the Pick Six NFL podcast. Those guys are already focused on the 2020 season, the 2020 NFL draft. They record daily, so a new episode is always waiting for you. And you can follow their coverage uh, this week. They're in India, Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. So make sure you're checking that out. The Pick 6 Podcast, available anywhere you get podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. So number one, Baylor, lost as a favorite. Number two, Gonzaga, lost as a favorite. But the biggest surprise of the weekend was, undeniably, number four, San Diego State, losing as a favorite. Final score, UNLV 66, SDSU 63. Inside Jamal Franklin Arena, my Aztecs were they were 14-point favorites, but they trailed by double digits for what felt like the entire game. Rallied late, made it interesting, but then Malachi Flynn missed a three in the final 10, sec- 10 seconds. That would have tied the score. Um, when he missed it, that was basically that was just basically that. So special shouts to UNLV coach TJ Osselberger, the former Jackrabbit. That's mm. a great win. Shouts to Mike Dom while we're at it. But um, I'm disappointed in my Aztecs. I rode hard for San Diego State. 
What happened to my Aztecs, Norlander? Well, so yeah, a few things. Well, for, before we get into a little bit of that, so I that I could not watch the game. Um, this is. Uh, this is similar, kind of similar to when Gonzaga got to uh, its last game of the regular season, and then who did it lose to a few years back? BYU. I think this was uh, obviously a, an even bigger center. Hello, SDSU on its home floor. But I did not see any of the game. So was this was this a, pretty much a butt kicking from from the Otzelberger crew, like from the, from early on, or did it kind of flip after halftime? I just want a little bit of context, and for those who might have missed it, but saw the results, GP, of what you saw, was this, uh, you know, how did the game actually play out in, you know, in a, in a nut graph, if you will? UNLV controlled it the entire time. Um, they were up big at the half, and um, you kept waiting for San Diego State to make a run, and San Diego State did ultimately make a run. Um, that, that's how they got it to a one-possession game in the final seconds. But UNLV was up 12 at, at, after 20 minutes and up double digits. I haven't looked it up, but it, what felt like the int- most of the second half. And then San Diego State really rallied late. Crowd got into it. Jamal Franklin Arena going wild. Um, and, and, you know, it got close. But ultimately, you know, UNLV wins at 66-63. Uh, and I do think it's important to note when they played in Vegas earlier in the season, game was also close. Mm. So if you're UNLV, you can go in there thinking, okay, we're a 14-loss team. They're a zero-loss team. Um, you know, but but we can play with these guys. We've we played with them, you know, last month, and they they seem to have that confidence from from the jump. With San Diego State, it doesn't make me think much differently of them, but it did allow you to make that intro, and for that, <laughs> I'm disappointed. Disappointed in my Aztecs. That's my. Te- you know that's my team. They're close to my heart. Well, um, you know the intro was another uh, enjoyable labor of love. Did you catch all the references by the by the way in the TV shows? There anything popped in, popped to mind uh, here? Forty five minutes later of the of the audio drops I put in there. No. I I don't know that I did. Okay, had a little Arrested Development, a little Jim Carrey Ace Ventura had uh, had little Scrubs in there among the other things. Um, so this I never watched Scrubs, but I did watch um, Arrested Development. Should 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 Arrested Development's great. Scrubs is highly rewatchable. If you ever catch it's uh, it's good. I know Shay Serrano just like did a book on it. He did a book on Scrubs. He's got a book coming out on Scrubs. Interesting. I, that's 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 the only thing I know about Scrubs. I'd say an, that is an underrated rewatchable sitcom for me. Um, okay, so SDSU loses, and. Uh, like I, I, I tweet out, you know, how you'd been just trumpeting the Aztecs, and rightfully so, and you were just... They're my, all, they're my Aztecs. Okay, they're your Aztecs. You might have to check in with San Diego State fans about that particular detail, but we'll roll with it nonetheless. And then, um, listen, here's what you, you, you tweeted at me uh, late on, on Saturday as I was uh, trying to avoid getting hit by a car while trying to get a lift out of LaGuardia. Oh, no, like, be careful with this because I don't usually remember anything about late Saturdays. Well, here's what you wrote. You said... This was after I notified the world that you had been uh, you know, saying San Diego State would be undefeated on Selection Sunday. You said, quote, Let the record show I still think San Diego <laughs> State is going to be undefeated on Selection Sunday. Just got to figure out how to make it work. Let me sleep on it. I'll have an explanation by tomorrow afternoon. Hashtag Jamal Franklin Arena. Now, Parrish, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this. In mm. fact, I don't even know if the selection committee is aware of this, but... In order to be undefeated on Selection Sunday, you can't be defeated before Selection Sunday. That's so, obviously a problem. 
That's going to be I a can, problem for you. I, I can acknowledge that's a problem. I just thought in the moment it would be funny <laughs> if if somebody like me if, – what if you just decided to keep talking about San Diego State being undefeated <laughs> on Selection Sunday, even if they had a one loss? You just, you just, you just decided I'm not going to talk about that. Like people do in their own lives all yeah, the time. Yeah. They just block something out and they just pretend it didn't happen. Like what would happen if like I was on Inside College Basketball Tuesday night and they're like, GP, um, so San Diego State, you know, what happened with UNLV over the weekend happened. Do you still think the Aztecs can be a number one seed on Selection Sunday? And if I answered it exactly like this, well, I, you know, th- there's really no precedent in recent history for a team to be undefeated on Selection Sunday and not get a number one seed. So I don't understand why people are debating whether the Aztecs are going to be a one seed on Selection Sunday. As long as they still got that zero in the loss column, they're going to be fine. Brent Stover gives you the side eye. No one knows exactly what the hell you're talking about, how to respond. How to what react. if I just pretended it never happened, that the loss to UNLV never happened? That is called pulling a Costanza when he quit. Hey, by the way, that's what Jesse Newell does. Okay. <laughs> that's what he would do. Oh, my gosh. You had to go there. That's what he would do. He pretends losses don't happen all the time. Oh. So why can't, what if this is the moment – where I join Jesse in just deciding that losses don't matter, and mm. I just ignore them. Mm. That's a twist right there. <laughs> That's a hell of a twist. Oh, my gosh. I actually think, yeah, I, I defy you to do this on Inside College Basketball this week. I defy, I defy you. I defy you to do that. What if I would have moved San Diego State to number one in the top 25 and one and then just been like, you know what, if, if Jesse would do it. Why can't I do it? Oh, boy. Well, regardless, they did get the L, whether you want to admit it or not. If you want to, you know. Go, I don't want to admit it. I'm not going to admit then it. Then don't. Then by all means, don't. Um, but they take the loss. And you know what this – weirdly, though, and here's one takeaway I wanted to mention. I talked about this on Sunday night on CBS Sports HQ. Um, it Like, you would think, given the conference SDSU plays in, it would be a bit disastrous – because, uh, you know, you're on the one line, you're undefeated, you take a loss. How much slack do you have to give? But that's not really that's not really the case. When you look around and what other teams were unable to do, Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Duke were the one seeds going into the weekend. Baylor, Gonzaga, and San Diego State all lost, and they're still the one seeds, according to the, the majority of bracketologists that are going to forecast this thing. And I wouldn't disagree with that, by the way. Um now, Maryland might have had a case if it had not lost on Sunday, but it did. And then how about this? So since the selection committee came out with its in-season reveal, and that was three weeks ago, the top 16 teams, I don't have them in front of me off the top, off the top of my head, but I do have the, I have the stat here. The only teams that have not, because it was on CBS, it was on during the Seton Hall game, I believe. Um, the only teams that have not lost since the bracket reveal are Kansas and Dayton. So I think Dayton, which is now 25-2, and two, shouts to those Flyers 100%. Uh, I think the margin bet- between Dayton at 5 overall in the seed standings and SDSU at 4 is extremely narrow. And as long as Dayton can win at George Mason on Tuesday, beat Davidson on Friday, we wait and see what happens with SDSU. It's getting closer. It's getting a lot closer to getting that one seed. So credit to uh, the Flyers for getting ever closer because uh, it, it was a noisy weekend, and we did have some teams with huge winning streaks lose. But in terms of how the top of the bracket looks, if you're just trying to sort out what this weekend provided, interesting results, but all the one seeds remain the same. 
I disagree. Now, I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying because what you're saying is most bracketologists right. are still going to have the one seeds. I, I agree with that. They are. I, I think Dayton should be a one seed right now in front of San Diego State. I think the one seeds right now at mm. this moment should be Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Dayton. Like Dayton and San Diego State both – because that's where we're arguing. We're arguing Dayton and San Diego State. Dayton and San Diego State both have four quad one wins, and both of Dayton's losses are in the first quadrant in overtime to Kansas, a fellow one seed candidate, and Colorado. And San Diego State's got a quad three loss. That like we like, hey, listen, I'm happy for TJ. UNLV is a big brand. That's a quad three loss at home. There's nothing like that on on Dayton's resume. I, I think yeah. Dayton should be ahead of of San Diego mm-hmm. State right now in the pecking order. I don't think I disagree with you, but what if I shifted the conversation here? And this, I'm just going to be, this is going to be broad, okay? Because the quads, they're also arbitrary cutoffs, and I acknowledge that. And so that's why the committee has to get in there and really examine this, this stuff and, and parse it apart. San Diego but, State has better wins, if that's what you're going to say. They have the same number of quad one wins. San Diego State's wins no, are better. No, that's not what I'm going to say. How about Dayton for Gonzaga at this point? Both are two lost teams. Dayton, Dayton is 4-2 and two in quad one. Gonzaga's 5-2. and two. Gonzaga has a 3-0 record against Quad 2. Dayton, 6-0. Quad 3, Dayton's played fewer Quad 3 games. Part of that's a function of its conference. I understand that. 8 to Gonzaga's 10. It's also played fewer Quad 4 games. If you look at the strength of schedule metrics, um, it's Dayton that has the advantage there. If you look at the road record, Gonzaga's 10-1 on the road versus Dayton, which is 7-0. And then if you look at neutral, Gonzaga's 2-1 versus Dayton 3-2. Now, it matters in particular when you look at the results there, but I actually I, I think... That the result of Kansas beating Baylor and Baylor is still playing relatively well, um, the the gap just widened between those two and then the next three that we're talking about here. Uh, I, I think that Dayton is is just as much on Gonzaga's heels as it is San Diego State right now, and that the gap shouldn't be considered uh, all that much because. And I'm not I'm not going to overemphasize strength of schedule here because it's already baked into the stuff. Dayton has played more tougher opponents on the whole than Gonzaga or San Diego State to this point. And it's got two losses, just like Gonzaga and only one more than SDSU. Are you comfortable turning this into a brother against brother thing, Jalen Crutcher against Killian Tilly? That's what sounds like what you're doing. I'm, I'm all for hyping up the drama, man. We can do whatever we need to. But, yeah, I think that would be – I think that's what the people want too, Crutcher versus Tilly. It's a split house. It is a split house. <laughs> a house divided, 2,500 miles apart there. But, hey, it's something to keep an eye on going forward. Um if one of those three teams loses again, they are definitely off the one line, and the other two uh, remain there. This weirdly, <laughs> when San Diego State lost before they lost before Gonzaga lost, so in that brief window of time, it was like, oh, good, San Diego State can now be the two, go out west where it wants to be, and then Gonzaga messed the whole thing up. So Gonzaga stays ahead, and you know, just according to projections, of course, it's now the one. San Diego State is still the one that would be shipped out east at this point, which is not what they would prefer, even though from a seed perspective, you get an easier road than if you're a two seed. But it'll be something to track as we get to, uh, to the start of March here. The, the race for the, the final two number ones should be good. Kansas and Baylor are going to have to completely abandon their identities and take bizarre losses to get off the one line. I think it's it's not locks, but it's as close as you can right now to both those teams being one seeds. Didn't we have a house divided in the Final Four a few years ago? Was that a thing, or am I making that up? I think you're making it up. But maybe yeah. not. I can't. Oh, no. You know what you're referring, what are you referring Chris, to? Chris Jenkins? Yes. And uh, why am I bl- – oh, and uh, 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 Carolina. Oh, my gosh. Come on, man. Carolina. Who was it? Uh, Carolina fans of no offense are screaming into their phones right now. Uh, Jenkins and um, uh, hold on, I know it. Uh, Joel Berry, Joel Berry, Joel Berry, yeah. 
And so we could have a no, 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 Joe Barry, Nate Britt. It was Nate Britt. I'm 99 percent sure it was Nate Britt. Yes, it's Joel Barry. Shouts to Joel Barry and apologies. No, but it was Nate Britt. So we could. That was Luke May. It was Luke May. It was Luke May. What if it was Luke May and Chris Jenkins? That would be so much better. Oh my gosh, where do we go on this podcast? I don't. This is the thing that. Listen, there are a lot of people covering college basketball do it really well. And this is the thing that I don't think many people have picked up on is that with Dayton winning again and Gonzaga still projected to be a one seed, I mean, it's not crazy to think we could have a Final Four matchup between half-brothers Jalen Crutcher and Killian Tilly. Why are we the only ones talking about that? We are the only ones talking about that. I better not hear Titus and Tate talking about this. It better not happen. I'm going to be pissed. I anyway. just don't feel like that's getting enough attention. The Athletic writes 5,000 stories every <laughs> I day. I haven't seen I'm, that one. I have I'm not seen that one. I Jalen Crutcher, Killian Tilly story yet. Brian Hamilton, get on it already. Gosh, stop slacking. <laughs> Brian Hamilton, what are you doing? Gosh, disappointing. Very disappointing. You have, you have, there were two incredible half-brother um, stories in college basketball this season. There's Michael Carter Williams, the former Syracuse Quarter? guard. <laughs> Michael Carter. Michael Carter. That's not Michael what Carter said. Williams and Marcus Zagorowski, <laughs> current Creighton guard, half brothers, and Jalen Crutcher, Killian Tilly, half brothers. It's an amazing one of them story. everybody seems to talk about. The other one not so much. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. I just don't. Um, real quick, by the way, just as an aside, I just wanted to give a. Uh, the bubble games are increasing in prominence here. Okay. Indiana, to me, here's the four most important ones of the weekend. Indiana, Providence beat Marquette. You want to look at the weirdest resume in college basketball, go take a scan at the Friars there. Um, They got something bizarre going on. Your Memphis Tigers getting an absolutely necessary bubble win, needed it, and then Cincinnati beating Wichita State. Those final two games obviously both coming out of the American. The American's got a funky situation going down with Houston, Cincy, Wichita State, Memphis, and even Tulsa still being involved there. Um, All those teams are not going to make the tournament. I think three are going to get out of it, but Wichita State, it's... It really, really could have used that win. Instead, it's got a sweep at the hands of Cincinnati. So we'll wait. I, I feel like it's going to be inevitable, GP, when we're talking about like, the week leading up to Selection Sunday. Which State is going to have an interesting resume we're going to bandy about with. And then Memphis right now, 19-8, and 8-6 eight, eight and six overall. It gets a win against Houston, which is big. It still has to have a return game against the Cougars to end the regular season. But those four teams were the ones that stuck out to me most. IU, Providence, Tigers, Bearcats. UCLA? You know what? The reason why I didn't mention UCLA is because the, the the game happened when I was on the flight, so I didn't even see it. it wasn't even on my radar. But you're right. UCLA beat Colorado on the road, 17-11. I haven't looked at their – okay, so I'll, I'll cede the floor to you here. But they've won five in a row. I have not even looked at their profile, but now it obviously warrants looking at because this started with that stunner road win against Arizona earlier this month, and now it's 17-11. You obviously don't have them in your top 25-1 and one, though, right? No, 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 no. Okay, no, okay. No. They're not there yet, but they are approaching bubble watch territory. They're five and five in quadrant one. They're five, five quadrant one wins. They are seven and nine in the first two quadrants. They do have a quadrant three loss and a quadrant four loss. Like so, like they're still off the bubble. I'm not pretending otherwise, but they're tied for second in the Pac-12 right now. They wow. um, started the season eight and nine with a loss to Cal State Fullerton. 
They're 9-2 and two in their past 11 games with wins at Arizona and at Colorado. They were down nine in the second half inside a Skia Booker Center. Okay. Down nine at the Skia Booker Center. Okay. How are you coming back from that? But they did. They went at 70-63. So they're now 17-11 and 11 overall, 10-5 and five in the Pac-12. And on Thursday, inside Reeves-Nelson Pavilion, they are going to yes. play Arizona it's State. Calm down. It's not Reeves-Nelson Pavilion. It is, it's Reeves-Nelson Pavilion. That's where they're going to play the game on Thursday. Oh, gosh. It'll be played on Thursday inside Reeves-Nelson Pavilion. <sighs> okay. Remember, remember when Reeves Nelson was just fighting everybody yeah. on the team? <laughs> Sports Illustrated did a whole story oh, about you're right. oh, the, my gosh. the Finn Allen's program, and it was oh. all rooted in Reeves Nelson. Oh. We stopped like, fighting everybody. That is a flashback, man. I had not thought about that since probably a month after that whole thing went down, but that you're, you're absolutely right. I totally forgot about that. My God. The whole story was just like, Reeves Nelson is the worst. <laughs> like, that was the story. So anyway, if UCLA beats Arizona State later this week inside Reeves Nelson Pavilion, um, like they're, they're going to be tied for first in the Pac-12. Forget the at-large bid. They don't even need it. They're going to go win the auto bid. You're right. <laughs> they might win the auto bid. That'd be a hell of a... T- Hell of a plot twist there. Pac-12 is just bizarre overall. I can't – I know less about oh, the league. Wait, way. like as I'm talking about this, let the record show, Arizona State's in first place alone in the Pac-12 standings. Yeah. Shouts to Bobby Hurley, Bobby F. and Hurley. Bobby F. and Hurley, man. That's, you know that story, by the way? Yes, we, yes, I know the story. Yes, I know the Have story. we ever told it on the podcast? I, I don't, don't think we can tell it on the podcast. You think we can't? I don't think we can. I think we can't. Yeah, I don't think we it, can. It's my – of all Rothstein's things – it is it is my favorite story. We need to get permission his, from little, we need to get permission from Rothstein okay. to tell it. Okay, on the podcast. I'm working with Rothstein this week. I'll get per, if I get permission from him to tell it, I'll tell it. All right. Otherwise, it's, I would I wouldn't violate his trust. But it's, it's a funny story. Yeah, and if you know the story, then it it makes Bobby F and Hurley actually it's it makes it I think his top three. He always does those tweets, but it makes it one of his best ones. Um, yeah, Arizona State is ten and four. Then you got Oregon, Colorado, and UCLA all at ten and five. Arizona tied with them in the loss column. At nine and five, Pac-12 is uh, a beautiful mess right now, and we wait and see who's going to come out of the league because USC and Stanford still, you know, they got postseason hopes as well. But uh, yeah, interesting week on the bubble, and now you know more and more. I don't think the bubble's massive, but there are a, a lot of interesting cases. So put UCLA there, right there with them, uh, among the biggest bubble winners over the weekend. Have you run out of things to say? I have. Let's hear a uh, let's hear a, an adoring review if you have one. Do you have one? I do. Okay. It com- it comes from Annie B. All right, Annie B. You're going to like this, I think. All right. Let me call it up. Give me a second. Okay. You, 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 call, you call it up, and um, you just let Okay, me this, this is from Annie B. She posted it on Friday. Here's what she wrote. Dearest dead leg Norlander and tennis elbow GP. Dead arm GP <laughs> if we could. That's because we are the dead limb duo. By the way, I was getting shots up. I mean, the leg is lively as hell. So just my just left my update. My left elbow feels great. Does it? We're coming back. And my there are days when my right elbow feels like it's it's on its way, and then, and then oh. I relapse. Okay. <laughs> but like right now, I don't think my right elbow is great. But there are days where I feel like it could. I feel like I'm close. So I believe in you. Maybe one maybe one day, perhaps one day. I'll be able-bodied again. So anyway, Annie B., she, here's what she wrote. She wrote, Dearest Dead Leg Norlander and Tennis Elbow GP. 
I first discovered your podcast in the fall of 2018. As a 29-year-old woman who is obsessed with Duke basketball, I found this podcast because I was lurking the internet for a preview of the Duke UK game for the Champions Classic. I was then hooked after I heard both of you eat your word regarding Duke as you both predicted Kentucky to win. See, Norlander, I, yeah, I'm yeah. not the only one that gets things wrong. Sometimes you're wrong, too. Uh, yeah, but that was my Duke hate, so what can you do? Uh, she continues, this podcast has brought my obsession with college hoops from fairly normal for a for a middle-aged man level to the to the level that is more often seen with white women in the Bachelor franchise. <laughs> okay. well, it's a good place. She, I understand what she's saying. It has brought my level of of um, of uh, a fandom to such a level that I'm trying to convince my husband that when we decide to start a family, the perfect time for me to start maternity leave would be the first Thursday and Friday of the tournament. I love listening to this podcast because when people ask me about anything college basketball related and I am able to spit some obscure fact at them, shouts to Devin Downey, Mm -hmm. the look on their faces is priceless. As a short white woman, (laughs) she's 5'2", she says, who has never played basketball in my life, People genuinely don't expect me to know anything related to college basketball. This is my absolute favorite podcast, and everyone should listen to it. You guys are the best. P.S. Deadleg is not anti-Duke, and anyone who thinks otherwise can fight me, and I will go after them harder than GP goes after the dummies on Twitter. Annie B. Annie B. Listen, that is a top three review since we've been doing this little segment here. Love it, and you're all – I think you're all actually playing for second behind Andy B. Now, Andy B., you find me wherever you want at whatever game if you happen to be at one, and uh, we'll take on the haters together. That's a that's a great review, and we so, so very appreciate it. Uh, looking ahead to the next few days, Monday, Louisville's at Florida State, West Virginia's at Texas, Oklahoma State at Kansas. By the way, Shaka Smart's won two straight. One, I had noticed straight. that. I know, I know. So let's just see where it goes. Let's let's not jinx it. Let's see how it goes. And, and West Virginia's 5-6 and six in his past 11 games with three losses to unranked opponents, so... Keep an eye on that. Tuesday, I'm going to be in studio, CBS Sports Network. we got a triple header, DePaul at Xavier. Then Memphis, another big bubble game at SMU. Yeah. And then Colorado State at San Diego State. Uh, so that's the triple he- My Aztecs trying to bounce back. Then there's nothing a- to bounce back from, man. Don't give up the bit before the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's- keep it going. It's going to be interesting to see how the committee treats the Aztecs on Selection Sunday. When sure they're coming out of the Mountain West Conference, but they do have a zero in the loss column. That's it. I'll I'll be fascinated to see if they get treated the same way Wichita State did. You know, it's one of the things I've been saying all season. If you you have to respect the loss column, and as long as the Aztecs have a zero in that loss column, then I feel like they have to be a number one seed. But ultimately, it's not up to me. It's going to be up to the committee, and we'll see what they do on Selection Sunday. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. Antigua. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell, shouts to Annie, my 5'2 hero, and please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars with nice comments. If you leave a nice review, you might get a shout-out with Devin Downey, Larnell, and Annie. So go do that, and we will talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.